0: Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. As Americans' needs for mental health services have grown, the limited capacity of the nation's mental health professionals to meet those needs is becoming more clear. Now, primary care clinicians have always played a role in identifying and treating mental health conditions, but as authors of a recent article published in Health Affairs Forefront note, primary care physicians are now literally the frontline workforce for the country's behavioral health crisis. So what role do primary care physicians play in meeting mental health needs? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Lisa Rottenstein, Assistant Professor at Harvard Medical School and Medical Director for Population Health at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Rodenstein and co-authors published a paper in the February 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining the prevalence of mental health treatment during primary care physicians' visits between 2006 and 2018. They found a significant increase in the role primary care plays in treating mental health concerns. We'll discuss these findings in more detail in today's episode. Dr. Rodenstein, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: This is a really important topic, and we tend to think a lot about mental health and mental health professionals. But as I noted in the introduction, uh, people have always gone to their primary care physicians and uh, been screened for and diagnosed with and treated for mental health conditions. So it would be really helpful if you could start by just stepping back from your paper and giving... Me and our listeners, a sense of the prevalence of mental health concerns and mental health conditions in the United States. Are people getting treatment? We hear about a mental health crisis. What does that mean?
1: It's it's a really important question. We know that mental health conditions are common in the United States, and according to the National Institutes of Mental Health, 1 in 5 Americans, so 20% of Americans, lived with a mental health condition in 2020. That's 53 million people. And yet, only 46% of those adults received mental health services in the last year. And, and that was pre-pandemic. Um, so the COVID pandemic has only accelerated the demand for mental health treatment. It, for example, there was a report from the World Health Organization that described a 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression. And then data from the US suggests that one in four adults actually had anxiety or a depressive disorder in 2021. So the issue has only been magnified. And yet there aren't enough psychiatrists to meet this demand. Again, a study from before the pandemic projected a shortage of between 14,000 and 31,000 psychiatrists by 2024. And we only expect this shortage to be enhanced by the increase in demand for mental health care, uh, given the trends we saw with the COVID-19 pandemic the other issue is that patients may have limited access to specialty mental health care due to geography or insurance coverage. And as you noted, this results in primary care delivering a substantial portion of mental health care.
0: Now, you mentioned anxiety and depression, and uh, we're not going to go deep in the clinical side of this, but when you say something like one out of five people have a mental health condition, presumably that that's a big range from what might be seen by some as smaller or more minor concerns, all the way to very uh, significant ones that affect people's ability to function on a daily basis. Can, can you just give us a little texture? When you say 20% and mental health, what, what kinds of uh, conditions are we talking about here?
1: it's a it's a great question. and yes, there there definitely is a range. And so as we describe in the paper, um, there's ones that we might be more familiar with and which primary care physicians may be more familiar with treating, and then uh, others that uh, may be less obvious. So uh, a mental health condition could range at from uh, depression and affective disorders to anxiety and stress-related diagnoses, to bipolar disorder, uh, to serious mental illness um, and, and psychotic illnesses, and then uh, also disorders resulting from psychoactive substances. And again, these are just a sampling of the potential diagnoses, but as exactly as you note, there is a range.
0: So given that spectrum and given what you said earlier about the shortage of Of psychiatrists and and highly trained uh, mental health specialists Um, when a person when we think about a person receiving mental health treatment what is the difference from a patients from a care perspective of getting that care potentially from a primary care physician or from a specialist
1: So in an ideal world, we'd have enough mental health professionals to provide all of the mental health care needed. And and these professionals, I'll I'll just note, they range from psychiatrists, to psychologists, to therapists, to many others. But right now we have a, a real shortage of mental health professionals. So I will note that primary care doctors, especially with support from other members of the behavioral health team, can provide excellent and appropriate mental health care to their patients. For example, um, the IMPACT study showed that a significantly greater proportion of older adults receiving care for depression in primary care as part of the collaborative care model, which involved a primary care physician and then a consulting psychiatrist and a depression case manager. So patients who received care through this model had uh, a greater reduction in depressive symptoms than those receiving what we called usual care, And, and some of those patients receiving usual care received specialty care. But coming back to the question of mental health diagnoses and them having a broad distribution, so some diagnoses, such as depression and anxiety, are really the bread and butter of primary care, and and primary care doctors feel comfortable treating these diagnoses. That being said, uh, specialized mental health providers can be really helpful, for example, in treatment of refractory cases or more complex cases. And then on the other hand, primary care physicians may have varying comfort levels with treating other diagnoses so for example, such as bipolar disorder or psychotic disorders and and in these cases access to specialty mental health care is really valuable and, and truly important
0: I'll just simplify and it sounds like you can get really good care from either place, but it has to be a fit from both the patient's and the clinician's perspective and sometimes the fit is Real good, and sometimes it's not going to be so great, which means that we really do need capacity um, in the primary care side, given both uh, the limitations of of capacity on the on the mental health uh, uh, clinician side as well as as just uh, accessibility of services so let's turn to your study um, you were looking at the prevalence of Uh, mental health concerns being addressed in the primary care setting. Um, Just give us a sense, if you could, of the main findings about uh, how often those concerns came up in primary care visits and how that's been changing over time.
1: We found that the proportion of primary care visits that addressed a mental health concern as part of the visit increased by over 50% from 2006 to 2018. So uh, Visits involving a mental health concern comprise 10.7% of visits in the 2006 to 2007 timeframe. And this is in contrast to them comprising 15.9% of visits by 2016 to 2018. And we used a nationally representative data set. So our numbers and and the uh, proportions we are describing represent care Delivered in a variety of settings across the United States
0: So this is a huge increase in the role of primary care and your study looked at a number of dimensions of that increase Um, Maybe I'll start with this question that you focused on which is People going to their regular primary care doctor as opposed to a primary care doctor who they don't typically see and what's the difference between uh, those two circumstances?
1: We found that the proportion of visits that addressed a mental health concern was significantly higher if the patient was seeing their usual primary care physician, their own primary care physician versus another primary care provider. So in in 2006 to 2007, it was 11.2% if the patient was seeing their own PCP versus 8.9% if they were not. And then by 2016, 2018, it was 16.8% if they were seeing their usual PCP versus 12.4% if they were not. What does this tell us? Uh, It tells us that in a world of increasing on-demand healthcare options, there is still a real importance of having a usual primary care doctor and the relationship and the context that comes with that and and the trust. And so uh, it highlights the need for consistent primary care, continuous primary care, uh, and systems that support that. It's notable that, Periodic health exams have actually been associated with establishing a relationship with the PCP in addition to uh, helping to identify uh, chronic diseases and, and management of those chronic diseases. But what our data suggests is that situations where there's an opportunity to develop a relationship that can persist over time, also create the opportunity to raise mental health concerns.
0: It just makes so much sense as a patient that uh, higher levels of trust and knowledge and comfort with your clinician would uh, make it easier to move into these areas. Um, I'd like to talk to you about some of the other dimensions of differences you found. Uh, We'll have time to cover some more topics after we take a short break. and we 're back i 'm speaking with Dr. Lisa Rottenstein about the increasing role of primary care visits uh, covering mental health topics as opposed to people going just to uh, mental health uh, specialists before the break. we discussed the importance of a long standing relationship that people are more likely to turn to mental health issues if they 're seeing Uh, their usual primary care physician. Uh, There are some other dimensions that you looked at in the paper. One had to do with shifts in which disorders patients were seeking treatment for. I thought this was really interesting. Could you say a little bit about how that's changed?
1: So in the paper, you'll you'll see that we were able to describe um, changes in diagnoses addressed within the context of primary care over time across multiple categories. And what I would say is most notable is that we saw a significant increase in anxiety and stress-related diagnoses addressed in primary care visits over time. So they started at about 29.9% of the primary care visits in 2006-2007, and then increased to 34.5% by 2016-2018. They peaked at 38% in 2014-2015. to Interestingly, uh, at the same time, we saw that the proportion of visits addressing depressive symptoms decreased. So they started out at 32.4% in 2006 to 2007, and they were 20.8% by 2016-2018. It's notable because depression and anxiety often occur together. And it's possible that our findings actually reflect physicians becoming more comfortable over time with diagnosing and treating anxiety in the primary care setting. And so perhaps um, symptoms that may have been categorized as uh, depressive symptoms earlier on in the time course of our study, uh, were now being categorized as anxiety or stress-related diagnoses. And and this has been shown in other research as well.
0: And I know you said this earlier, but we should just remember this is all before COVID. And so some of these numbers could have changed uh, significantly in the wake of COVID as well. Uh, You also looked at the race and ethnicity of patients. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about the uh, differences you observed across that dimension.
1: So we found that black patients were 40% less likely than white patients to have a mental health concern addressed during a primary care visit, and Hispanic patients were 40% less likely than non-Hispanic patients to have a mental health concern addressed during a primary care visit. And and this is despite the fact that in nationally representative surveys, we do see similar or slightly lower rates of mental health conditions, um, such as depression among Hispanic and and non-white individuals. Um, So we wouldn't expect to see such stark differences uh, in the data just based on prevalence alone. What our data does not tell us is why. And I think that is the key question. Uh, So further work really is needed to identify what are the process disparities, perhaps different screening rates or structural barriers, whether it's access to care, or insurance coverage, or reimbursement of mental health services, or communication barriers um, that actually have been shown to contribute to less common treatment of mental health conditions in primary care. What are these contributing factors for racial and ethnic minority patients? And and then how do we act on these factors?
0: So your uh, work here goes into a lot of detail on what's going on, but the overall picture as we started with is just this increasing role and important role for primary care. Uh, Given that you say in the paper, I'll I'll read a little quote here that you need, we need to be equipping primary care providers to address mental health needs. So that sounds right. They have a bigger role here and therefore they should be ready for it. I'm gonna ask you to move a little bit from your researcher hat to your clinician hat and say, uh, what does that mean? What kind of equipping is needed? Uh, What would help uh, make sure that when people turn to their primary care uh, physician, they get what they need?
1: I'll start off by saying that I I do think that primary care providers are a great starting point for diagnosing and addressing mental health concerns. And this is the right work, and this is the work that many primary care physicians are in a great place to do. Uh, That being said, they often would benefit from extra skills and extra supports around them in order to deliver care that is right for even more people. And then additionally, under the current reimbursement system, primary care is not adequately compensated for the work necessarily involved in managing mental health conditions or for the the teams that are involved in effectively treating mental health conditions. And I'll just underscore that to deliver mental health care effectively really requires a multidisciplinary approach. That can take a variety of formats. It could include co-located therapy or psychiatry resources. It could include e-consultation services that help PCPs manage medication regimens, longer visit lengths that provide time to address patients' physical needs and their mental health needs, and similarly, documentation systems that facilitate addressing both those sets of needs. Um, And and there's multiple models that have been studied over time from co-locations, such as um, there have been studies actually published in Health Affairs looking at that in the Veterans Health Administration, or collaborative care, um, which I lead at my own institution in which a care manager uh, conducts telephonic check-ins with patients, and they provide self-management support and motivational interviewing, and and they work as part of a team with the PCP and uh, a consulting psychiatrist. But all of these models require additional supports uh, with for primary care practices, whether it's explicit relationships with mental health providers or adding new members to the team and then having the financial resources to do so. And so ultimately, this requires a funding structure that supports these extra resources or a kind of reimbursement structure that incentivizes providers and systems to take care of the whole patient um, rather than focusing on on visit-based care. And that ultimately, I think, will enable us to provide the mental health care that that we want to provide and and can provide.
0: So that sounds like a, a, a heavy lift, but an important one. But it also makes me wonder, you talk about these things to equip primary care. It sounds to me like a lot of the infrastructure you describe there would also be helpful for the mental health specialists when they're providing care too. So this isn't really sort of an either or. This is, as you say, it takes a, a team-based approach. Is that a fair, uh, a fair observation?
1: I, I would agree with that. It, it takes a team-based approach. Um, and I think, though, that that approach is particularly important in primary care where, um, you know, we we get a broad range of training. Um, and so in some instances, as I mentioned, uh, certain diagnoses are bread and butter and certain diagnoses may have us leaning on the expertise of other members of the team relatively more heavily.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. So as we're finishing up, I'm just curious, this is A really important trend you're documenting here, and you've talked a little bit about what it's going to take to support uh, primary care. Um, Putting your research hat back on, uh, what questions come out of this work and your practice that uh, maybe you'll take a look at next?
1: I think well, there's many interesting questions that arise from this, and and a few that I am particularly interested in have to do with the reimbursement systems and, and payment structures that most effectively allow us to deliver the integrated behavioral health we we know is right. So that that's a first one. Um, I think that there are um, interesting questions around patterns of mental health delivery in primary care based on the physician and the patient. Gender, And then, um, as we talked about earlier, I think it's crucially important for us to understand in more detail the why behind the racial and ethnic disparities we identified, uh, because that's, that's really not an acceptable trend, um, and, and so we should be working to address that.
0: Well, Dr. Rodenstein, thank you for the uh, research and for explaining it so clearly, for continuing to improve our understanding of not just what we have, but where we need to go. Uh, and thank you for being my guest today on A Health policy.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health policy.